Okay, Boker Tover at the bottom of Moid Kotten Yud Zainam Abbeis. So we've been discussing the prohibition of cutting your hair on Cholamoid. Now we move on to cutting nails on Cholamoid and cutting nails for a mourner. So the we have a brisa that says the following: Kishem Sha'amru Usur Legaleach Bemoid. Just like we said, you're not allowed to get your hair cut on Cholamoid. So too, you cannot cut your fingernails on Cholamoid. This is what Rabbi Yehuda says. But there's a machlokas. Rabbi Yossi says, even though you can't get a haircut on Cholamoid, you can cut your nails on Cholamoid. Okay, Rabiosi reasons that long nails are so unsightly that people surely trim them before Yantif. So we don't have to make any punitive measures that if you did not cut your nails, then you're not allowed to do it on Cholamoid. Long hair is one thing, but long nails is worse. That's what Rabiosi holds. Well, Rabiuda, I guess, holds no, it's not as unsightly. And just like we have punitive measures for those who don't get a haircut before Cholamoid, we want to make sure everybody is well groomed before Yom Tov. So the same thing would apply to nails. So that is the machlokes regarding fingernails. So that was regarding compared, saying, just like you can't cut a Cholamoid. So, therefore, you can't cut your fingernails. So, that's Cholamoy. And, Ukeshem She'omru Ovel Oser Ligaleach Bimei Avlo. And just like they said that a mourner cannot get a haircut during his mourning period, Kach Oser Litol Tzipurnaim Bimei Avlo. So, too, he cannot get his fingernails cut in his mourning period. Divrei Rabbi Yehuda. These are the words of Rabbi Yehuda. Okay. So like the prohibition, now it's a big machlokas here, against hair cutting, the prohibition against cutting nails also applies through the 30-day period, according to Rabbi Yehuda. Okay. Now, where does Rabbi Yehuda learn that a mourner can't cut his nails? From the law of the captive woman. Torah says the words she does her nails the question is what it means she does her nails to Machlokas Bruda renders as being she must let her nails grow so that makes it unsightly this is presumably an expression of mourning for her father and mother because she will weep for her father and mother so he learns it's part of the mourning process okay Rabbi Yehuda Matir and Rabbi Yehuda permits a mourner to cut his nails even during the seven day period now Rabbi Yossi possibly understands the Torah's commandment regarding a captive woman as requiring her to cut her nails it's a machlokas doesn't mean she let them grow or she cuts her nails alternative Rabbi Yossi agrees with Yehuda's interpretation must let her nails grow her Rabbi Yossi opinion this is not intended as an expression of mourning with some intention of making her unattractive to her captor. We don't want the Jewish guy to, to want to marry her at the end. So it's not a comparison. So we have uh, leniencies 
the machlokas by Cholamoid regarding nails and the machlokas by mourners by nails. Fine. Amen. Omar Ula. So now we have a machlokas. Sula comes along and says, interestingly, Halacha to Rabbi Yehuda Be'avel. The halacha is like Rabbi Yehuda by the mourner, and that means you cannot cut your nails by that uh, by the mourner. For halacha karabiosi b'moed, and the halacha is like Rabbiose by cholamoid. So it comes out according to Ula, where are we more lenient? We're more lenient by cholamoid than we are by mourners. Okay. Uh, and the reason is the prohibitions against cutting hair and nails on cholamoid are only rabbinic, whereas the parallel laws with respect to mourning have some type of spiritual, scriptural basis, not 100%, but more so. So that's why um, Ula says we're going to be more, we're going to be stricter by mourning and less strict by cholamoid. Shmuel argues on Ula. And Shmuel Amr, as we come to the top of Yud Ches Amid Aleph, Halacha Krebiosi in both cases, Bemoed Uba Avel. We paskin lini, you can cut your hair, cut your, your nails on Chol Hamoed, and you can cut your nails during mourning period. Now, so there, there's no machlok in terms of psak. Between Ula and Rava, they both agree by Chol HaMoed, like Rabiosi, you can cut the fingernails, but they argue by the mourner, can he cut the nails? Now, let's see why does Shmuel be more lenient for the uh, mourner by cutting the nails? Why does he paskin that way? Because Shmuel says a big rule, and this is a rule you gotta know, because this is applied all the time, not just in this case by mourning. Famous rule. Domer Shmuel, Shmuel holds, Halocha Kedivre Hamekel Ba'avel. The law is whenever there's a machlokes, we paskin leniently by mourning. So interesting. So now the question is it seems that Rava before said the locha is like Rabiosi by Ovel as well. So, but now it says, because as Shmuel, uh, one second, let's just back it up. It was, let me just back it up. Make sure we got the name straight over here. This was Shmuel. Yeah, Shmuel Amar. Yeah. So Shmuel, the question is, did Shmuel actually say these statements or not? Even though he says, What's going on over here? I'm sorry. Let's try it again. Okay, to Amar Shmuel, halachi remakeable oval. So Gomorrah's wording implies Shmuel did not actually say that the mourner may cut his nails. Rather, it's attributed this opinion to Shmuel on the basis of the rule that in disputes about mourning, we follow the lenient view. Once the Gomorrah has established that Shmuel follows the opinion of Rabiosi regarding a mourner, we can assume that it follows Rabiosi's view on Cholomoid as well. Because the laws of Cholmoid are much more lenient. Now, now here's an important idea here. Shmuel's rule that the locha always follows more lenient opinion is issued in issues of mourning applies only to Tanoic disputes and not Amoroic disputes. 
higher level disputes, we go linear and not level. Uh, lower, look at all these commentaries. Others, though, extend this rule even to Amoraic rulings. In any event, it does not apply to post-Talmudic disputes. So the question is, how far down do we go with this rule? But it is a general understanding that we go lenient in those situations. And therefore, when you get Shilas coming up with mourning, there's, we always try to, <clears throat> to find a more lenient approach to that. Okay, now that we have these rules over here, now we get to some stories where these rules are applied. So it would seem that uh, the, there's a machlokes, do we, by, um, by, so again, by chol hamoed, everyone agrees we rule with the opinion you can cut your nails. By Ovel is a machlokes of the Amuraim, which what uh, Ula and Shmuel, do we paskin like Rabiosi or not? So the uh, the uh, now we get a couple stories based on those events. Pinchas Avu de Mar Shmuel, a person by the name of Pinchas, whose Achua was the brother of Mar Shmuel, Israbe Milsa. Something happened, meaning to say a close relative of died. Rash says his son, his child died, and he's sitting Shiva. Okay, person sitting Shiva. Al Shmuel Lamishel Taima Mine. So now Shmuel went to console him. Okay, so Chazine, as he goes, is in the Shiva house, and he sees Latofre to have an avish. He saw his nails were long, he saw he did not cut his nails. Well, Amarle, he said to him, Why didn't you cut your nails? I guess he said, We hold like Shmuel. That said, You can cut your nails. Interesting response. Amarle, Pinchas said to Shmuel, Had this happened to you, would you have treated it so lightly? Meaning to say, you're, you're saying, hey, oh, you're being pretty strict on your morning. You're not even cutting your nails. So listen, if you if you had what I had, you'd be doing it the same thing. Okay? Uh, so, is that a good response or not? But the way he felt, absolutely, it's a good response. Yes. <laughs> okay, that's... That's how he felt. He so, felt so, so... Mourning for his son. So, when so I'm saying, guys, mourning for his son... So the guy says, oh, I see you're being very strict over here. So if you went through what I went through, yeah. you, you would understand. Yeah, it's understandable. No. Baruch Hashem, we have the Gemara to teach us how to respond. Better, better responses. Okay. Why? The Gemara reflects on this story and says, Havi, it's like, and this is a in what Pinchas's remark was is like an error proceeding from a ruler. In other words, like a king who mistakenly decreed that someone be imprisoned or executed. Why? Because it didn't take too much longer. Because an unfortunate thing now occurred to Shmuel who lost a close relative. You hear what's going on? The, the mourner said, if you went through what I went through, you'd understand. So guess what? In Shemayim, it was decreed that now this uh, fellow 
would have to go. Would have to go through. He lo- he lost a close relative. Which means, which means, right. we. Why? Where, where would Shmuel be punished by losing somebody? From Shemaim, yeah. No, no, the Gemara. Let's go back. What did the Gemara? How did the Gemara say this is like a mistake that comes out of the ruler? Who made the mistake? The mourner. The mourner. The mourner, yeah. That's not what you so why, answer. Why should Shmuel be punished by losing a relative? Because it's like the guy said, like Al Tiftach something. The guy, it's what you say, if you went through. Okay, so I guess let's have him go through it. I understand, so but why let, should Shmuel be punished? Well, let's let's continue. All okay. So Pinchas, his brother, now went to console him. These were brothers. Goes to console him. Shaklina Shmuel took his nails and hurled them angrily at them. That's wrong. Okay. That's now remember, Pinchas was the first mourner. Shmuel said, how come you're letting your nails grow? He said, if you went through what I went through, you'd understand. So now what happens is Shmuel has to go through what he went through. Pinchas now comes to mourn him and he throws the nail into him. First of all, it must be during the days of the Shiva when people visit. And it shows that Shmuel held that a mourner is allowed to cut his nails and even during the seven days. Now... Now here's there's a few issues going on over here. First of all, he was obviously upset that because from that you have to know your words are very important, and we always say you know, have someone listens to the words, and uh, a person if a person says if you went through what I went through, that's like you your words now are saying that he should go through what you went through. He said, you'd understand. Okay, so I guess you're saying that he should go through it. Even though that's not what he meant, but that's the implication. You know, you could just say, there's another way of responding. He could say, you know what? It hurts me so much, I can't. Why didn't he say that? He said, if you went through. So what's that kind of saying, you know? Oh, so that's what, but we all before said it was okay. (laughs) Till, till. Till you heard what happened to Shmuel. I said, why should Shmuel be punished? That's what I said. No, but because that's how powerful the words are. We shouldn't take our words lightly because, you know, there's a lot of things that go on in life. Shmuel, you know, there's, there's always, people are always being judged by God. Should something bad happen, should not. And then it could be it's, you know, 50-50. And then sometimes something tips the scale, so to speak. So it's in other words, when a person says something, we you know we're awfully careful. You just don't go to somebody and give them a curse, because sometimes they'll listen to the curse. So it's almost like a tefillah. You have to realize, you know, people take their words so casually, you don't realize the word is is a very powerful, holy, spiritual power. Your words really make a difference. And just like, for example, when you talk Lashon Hara, it does all kinds of things in the Shemayim that you weren't intending. When we speak Lashon Hara, all the prosecutions that have been held in abeyance on the Jewish people are released. That's just the way it works. When you say to somebody, you know, if you knew what, if you went what I went through, you'd understand. 
That's as if he's saying you should go through what I went through. And sometimes, for whatever reasons, it gets listened to. So therefore, um, Shmuel uh, was extremely upset with him because it's like those words caused that to happen. It's interesting, the Lord will not get into that issue. But the problem is, now what's the problem here? With who, the story. Who made the error, Binghas or Shmuel, or both? Well, let's what say. Shmuel was just saying, listen, I don't understand, don't you, you know, you're ruling over here. He was talking in the halacha, like, why aren't you cutting your nails? Right. Because he, he felt that was the halacha. Mm-hmm. Okay. And may, maybe he's suggesting, you know, you're mourning too much, mourning more than necessary. So he could have just said, listen, that's how I feel, and finished, leave it at that. But now once he said you should go, if you went what I went through, so now you've caused the satan to get involved. And now, so at least, let's put it this way, from Shmuel's perspective, he felt that those words um, were effective in causing him this distress. So he was upset about it. And... uh, he threw the nails at him, uh, obviously saying, you know, if, if you would have spoken better, yeah. this wouldn't happen. So he's expressed... He to be lenient towards Pinhas when he told him, why, right. do you, why don't you cut your... He tried to be lenient, which is or what he's supposed to Or telling him what the correct position yeah. is. Well, yeah, and he, for whatever reason, he didn't say... Um, Pinchas didn't say, well, I hold like Ula who Paskins like uh, the rabbi says, you can't get the nails cut. He didn't say that. No. Like, like why didn't he? Why didn't he? Uh We can speculate. But uh, clearly, the response he gave was wrong. So what we learn from this story is sometimes when people go over to you and they may say, you know, you're mourning too much. And that, that, that does happen sometimes. People mourn too much. I remember when my uh, my father passed away. So my uncle, he was my father's older brother by 13 years. And my uncle had just retired. So he felt he could spend more time with my father. And it didn't work out that way. My father passed away shortly after his retirement. So as a brother, he only mourned 30 days. So, so but my uncle, like he mourned the whole year. Because I'm not watching tell. My my uncle watched television every day, like in those days in the uh, was this the 70s, all the Holocaust survivors they watched TV. Yeah, just that's the way it was. So I said, you know, you, you you're allowed to watch TV. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm a young Talmudic student. I'm saying, you know, you're being awfully strict. He said, well, that's how I feel, and I'm not going to watch TV for a whole year. Okay. He didn't say, if you went through what I went through, you'd understand. But you did go through, he couldn't tell you that. No, but brother. No. What was his father, no? I know, but it was his brother and his only relative. He didn't have any children. My uncle didn't have any children. So they were close brothers. And like, what was he going to do in retirement except just sit in the front porch and schmooze with my father? I mean, that was, that was... You gotta, you gotta know what it was to be older fifty years ago, and being a greener. Uh, you recall the way they were. Yeah. So th- these were so. There wasn't much more to do. So it was like his whole uh, raison d'etre was gone. So he felt terrible. But he didn't say to me, "Well, if you would lose a brother, then you'd understand what I'm feeling." 
He didn't say that. He just. Well, but it doesn't make sense because you lost the father. Which is the no, exactly. Yeah, there's a difference. And you wish that young boy was losing his felt that way. That's fine. It was. His his hurt from his perspective. He took it much worse than I took it. Okay, because he's already sixty five, and at that in those days sixty five was old. All right, was old. Was old, and he and he was old, and all he ever planned on doing was just and and my father was his best friend. Okay, me. I mean, I love my father, but. I'm 18, life goes on, and you build your own life, and you make your own, you know, so you, you got a future. My uncle didn't have a future. This was it. So it's like, his whole life was finished. So, and I could see his whole, like, demeanor and everything was, was not good after that. So, but it, but there's a way to respond. So if somebody, and, and there are times, I'm just saying sometimes when people visit a, a mourner, sometimes they're not, um, What's the word? Um, uh, they don't always say the right things. They're not conscious. You know, and they, they say things that are hurtful. You know, so you might be telling say, well, if, if you, you went what I went through. So we're just saying, be careful when you're a mourner to be sensitive to not let your emotions say things that you don't really mean to hurt the person, but to open up for that. But anyway, the problem with the story is, now what the Gemara does not get into the emotional end, <laughs> Gore is focusing on the halachic end over here. So what's the halachic end? What was halachically problematic with Shmuel throwing the nails at his brother? You got to dispose of them properly. So the, the Meforshim explained that it is wicked to, Gomorrah says, just a minute, to casually toss away one's nail trimmings because they're hazardous. We'll explain it all in a minute. We're just going to explain this all. So he must, so, so what do you mean he threw them? So we're going to have to say that Shmuel, he must have collected them up before yeah. he didn't all do any harm. So in other words, even according to those who permit a mortar to cut his nails, there's a question whether he may do so in the regular manner with scissors. In those days, it was scissors, not nail clippers. If Shmuel prohibits the regular manner, he must have trimmed his nails by some other methods, such as biting with his teeth or using one nail to cut another. But anyway, he threw the, the nails at him. So Amr Le, he said to Pinchas, Don't you hold that a covenant has been made with the lips? A man's words may inadvertently contain some prophecy for the future should avoid mentioning anything undesirable that could happen to the future lest his worries can't. so therefore like you, you don't say for example oh, you, let's say you're teaching a class and you say um, oh Chaim you know, you know let, let's, let's say for example if Chaim if your mother died then what would be the law yeah. you don't do that I, he didn't mean to say his mother dies. He just wanted to make it more real. If your mother died, then we'll be the Allah in this. We don't say those things. The Amar Rabbi Yochanan, because Rabbi Yochanan said, Minayin Shabris Krusalis. How do you know there's a covenant made with the lips? Shene Amar, as it says, this is the Akedas Yitzchak. Avram takes Yitzchak up to the mountain and he parts with Eliezer and um, Ishmael. Ishmael. 
Now, what did Avram say as they were going up to the mountain? Now, what did Avram know was going to happen? When Avram was going up, what was he intending to do? He didn't know God was going to stop in the last minute. He was fully committed to slaughtering his son. Right? So now, what did he tell them? He will return ah! Avram said to the lads, Sit over here with the donkey. Me and the lad will come this far up the top. Vinishtachava will bow down. Vinashuva alechem. We will return to you. Ah! What do you mean we will return to you? He never meant that we will return to you. But whatever Hashem put it in his mouth. In other words, he he was telling them, like, what are you doing? What are you going to do up there? What's he going to say? None of your business? No, I'm not going to say that. Say, I'm going to go up, shecht Yitzchak, and come back down. No, he didn't want to say that. So what does he say? Well, he says a, a, a compromise. Well, we're going up and we'll come back. Yeah. Well, guess what happened? The Ilsa. And the matter came as predicted to Hunter Tavaya that they both came back. Right? Although the statement was not made with the intention that it be taken as truth, it nevertheless came to pass. So what do you see from that? That you, this is the source that when you say certain things, you should be careful. So you you know don't even if you don't mean it, don't say it because the words. Now you're going to say, well, but this time it worked out good. Okay, worked out good. Well, yes and no, because uh, there's a lot of discussion. Would the world have been better off had Yitzchak been shechted or not? There's a whole discussion in the Kabbalists who discussed that uh, the truth of the matter was, I think of, uh, Rav Dessler talks about this, he said the truth of the matter is Avram was very disappointed that he couldn't shech Yitzhak. Why? Because it would, it, the understanding was that the world was getting close to its tikkun. And the complete tikkun would happen if Avram would have slaughtered Yitzhak. What would have happened? Yisrael would have died. Then God would have would have died, died, would have been died, died, and then Hashem would have resurrected Yitzhak and Mashiach would have come. In other words, that act of sacrifice would have changed the balance of world history and make Mashiach come. So now Avram was crushed. You have to understand, people who serve Hashem, they want what's good, what Hashem wants, and they want what's good for the world. And they don't think about their own personal needs. Their personal needs are nothing in front of Hashem. And if Avram understood this is what Hashem wants to do, this must be very important. And the truth of the matter is, it was. And had he shechted Yitzhak, the world would have come to its tikkun. But if Hashem decided not to... It's oh! So now, what does that mean? So Avram, Avram now has to listen to Hashem, but now he's he's disappointed we weren't able to make the tikkun. Okay. And there are those who explain that's why Sarah died. If you look in the Rashi's, I don't have time to give a whole Parsha class now. Sarah died from the disappointment that her husband and son failed the test. She thought they failed the test. When she heard, because uh, a lot of the Midrashim say the following, uh, say that, that 
the Satan came to Sarah dressed up like Yitzchak. Oh my. Medrash says this. Just up like Yitzchak. So now, it's like Yitzchak comes. She doesn't know it's Satan. She oh. thinks it's Yitzchak. Yitzchak's there. He's alive. He says, you know, Abba, what, what happened? Abba took me down. Abba was ready to shake me. But he didn't. She died. How could she die? He's there. It's not like someone's giving a message. You look at the rash, it's Maduik that way. So what, what happened? She says, what? You failed in a mission. She died from the fact that she thought her husband and son failed in the mission. Okay, these are levels of attachment to God that we can't even comprehend. And, 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 based, and we may think it's this stupid. I never feel that way. Well, we're not as close to God as they were. But anyway, um, so in other words, I'm preempting a question. They say, well, Rabbi Yochanan says, be careful what you say because you might get what you say. So you're saying, what do you mean? It was great. He didn't, he didn't get killed. Isn't that amazing? So why did he, so what, you know, be careful what you say. It worked out great. Answers did not work out great. Did not work out great. Now, the question you have to ask is, so why does Shem change his mind? Because he says, even though Avram was ready for Mashiach, Yitzhak was ready for Mashiach, Sarah was ready for Mashiach, the rest of the world wasn't. And the rest of the world would have taken this as an opposite reaction. They wouldn't look at it as someone can be so given over to Hashem to really to do this and make Sikunim. They would have just said that Avram is a butcher. Avram is a terrorist, and it was a terrible thing. So this really was a great disappointment. And therefore, be careful what you say. So when he said, oh, well, we'll come back. So on Avram's level, you weren't really saying the truth exactly. Since you're not saying the truth exactly, so therefore, again, this is very high lofty cheshbonos over here. So that's why you have to be um, careful about this. And there's a lot of stories that rabbis say, you know, about people that have to make sure that when you say something, you just don't take it lightly. There was a story I mentioned once with Reb Chaim, uh, with Reb Chaim Kanievsky. I don't know where I, when I said it. Reb Chaim Kanievsky, um, they wanted him to be Masada. He lived in Pnei Brak. They wanted him to be Masada Kedushin in another city near Yisrael. And he didn't really want to do it. Why? Because it would take too much time. Because when it was a long drive, like an hour to the other place, problem is you go for the wedding, the people stay for the wedding too. Rabbi Chaim says, okay, I'll be Masada Kedushim, but then I want to go home. I don't want to stay three, four hours for a wedding. So the Mishpacha said, please come. He says, no, I don't want it. He says, listen, we'll get you a ride back right after the wedding. So okay, I'll go. So he goes. And then what happens after the wedding? So the person, the relative, is asking, are you going back? Everybody said, no, we're not going back. So he goes to Reb Chaim. He says, I'm sorry, Reb Chaim. Uh, I couldn't find a ride. So Reb Chaim, uncharacteristically, said, you better try harder. You told me you're going to give me a ride. Now go back and try again. He tries, he tries. Nothing doing. Can't find anybody. Just as he's about to go back to Reb Chaim, he notices a taxi just dropped someone off at the wedding hall. So he turns to the taxi driver. You're going back to uh, uh, Bnei Brak? He says, yeah, I can go back to Bnei Brak. So quickly he runs to Reb Chaim. So he got a taxi. He pays the taxi guy. And says, so then Reb Chaim didn't want it to end with that. He says, I just want you to know. Why was I being so stubborn? Because you have to know when you give a word, you give a word. 
you said you'd give me a ride back. You, when you say that, you can't just say, well, I'll try. You said I'm going to give you a ride back. It's not that I care about my time and you're disappointing me and this sure, and that, Lord. but it's not good for you. When you say something, you don't mean what you say. Yeah. So now you have to know to mean what you say. And that's what we see from the story. And we're in the middle of the story. We'll continue tomorrow. Amir Sashem. All right.